Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Bunyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It is a beautiful day here in Starkville, Mississippi. Hope it is wherever you are. Hope that you're doing well. Hope that you're healthy. Hope that those you love are healthy and everybody that you love and come in contact with is far, far, far away from harm. How about that? You know, here's the thing, too. We'll get into a couple of things before we get kind of deep into the show. Uh, a lot of people out here, a lot of varying opinions. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite songs off of uh, my, one of my favorite bands that were, rose to prominence in the 1980s, a band called Queensryche. Saw them in Jackson, Mississippi. Perhaps the greatest show I have ever seen. Incredible. Suicidal Tendencies opened. If you were there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the Operation Mind Crime Empire Tour. Uh, incredible. Unbelievable show. But uh, one of the lyrics on that Mind Crime album is, uh, who do you trust when everyone's a crook? And, and there are a lot of people out there that are intent on being crooks, whether or not they wear a mask. They're just you know, people out there that are just being absolutely disingenuous and dishonest about information out there it's uh it boggles the mind at times i just got done reading an article too uh in contrast there was some article out there talking about uh, houston hospitals how they're overflowing and they don't have room in the icu and then of course the information uh that's shared by the texas uh, department of health doesn't echo those numbers at all i, I did, you know and again i'll say again for the record this is something we have to take very, very seriously. But these people that are being disingenuous with data to fit their narrative are doing more harm than good. They are creating more panic than necessary. This is something we are all dealing with. This is something that is going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future. Uh, a lot of good news today. I know it's read about the Oxford University vaccine. That's the real Oxford University, not the, the junior college up in Mississippi. But... Uh, be that as it may, uh, kids, we're going to make it. We're going to make it through this. We're going to have some some dip, some bumps across in the road between now and then, but uh, there's some good things ahead. Also today, to me, really of more importance to me personally, is today is the uh, would have been the 56th birthday of one Chris Cornell. Those of you that are, are fans of music, no doubt know who Chris Cornell was. And uh, his legacy lives on. And so I am devoting the day to listening to Chris Cornell music, mostly solo stuff, but also some of the Soundgarden and Audio Slave stuff. But uh, I will be celebrating his legacy today. And uh, in honor of his birthday, they released a never-before-released cover of Chris Cornell doing Guns N' Roses' Patience. You can find that on iTunes. You can find it on YouTube. Wherever you find music, you can find that. It is an incredible cover. The arrangement, very, very different than the original, but, uh, you know, the sentiment, true 
to the Guns N' Roses version. So go check that out today. I think you'll enjoy that. If you're like me and you, days like today, you get a little melancholy, uh, you know, thinking about Chris Cornell. And, and uh, I know everybody has their own heroes and uh, people who speak to them. But uh, Chris Cornell had a voice and a mind and a message that really spoke to me and uh, really shook me up when he died. One of those things that I almost felt like I felt like I knew him personally because he was so willing to share his soul and his pain with the rest of us. And uh, that transparency kind of drew me in. And there were a lot of times he could write and sing exactly what I was feeling uh, better than I could. And so I feel like in many ways that I lost someone close to me when he died. And um, so anyway, that's all of that. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll persevere. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. And listen, listen, there are some of you guys, too, that, that are like every so often I get tagged in a Facebook post and said, hey, I'm just trying Bulldog Burger for the first time. You know what? That's great. That's great. We want to drive new business in there. But you know what? Repeat business is what we're after because you're not just helping a local business. You're helping yourself. You are providing yourself a great night of food, a great night of service, a great night of community awareness by supporting a local business. I'm a big eat local guy when I'm on the road. I've got a couple of friends that are restaurateurs and I reach out to them before I leave and say, hey, listen, I'm going to be here. Where do I need to eat? Because, I, listen, I understand the chains employ a lot of Mississippi State people. I get it. But uh, I do my best to support the independent business folks. And that's what we have right here at Bulldog Burger Company. Part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle for years. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. And then on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by, check it out. Have the spring rolls. Tell them Steve Roberts and sent you. And then have the pimentology you add bacon. It'll, uh, it'll put some hair on your chest. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville and Tupelo where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So let's get into some recruiting news first. Okay, shortly after we recorded the Friday show, linebacker Tamar Rogers committed to Mississippi State. Now, I have had a chance to watch film of him and kind of break him down, and, and I haven't interacted with him as much as Paul Jones has. Uh, so I wanted to kind of learn a little more about him. And so I spent some time watching film. I've watched everything about him online that I could find to try to get a pretty good idea of what kind of player he, he should be. The first thing that stands out when you watch him is how explosive he is off the edge. He is a stand-up backer in a 3-4 scheme uh, there at DeLand. And, uh, and so very relentless as a pass rusher. Impacts a quarterback even when he doesn't make the play. He had a handful of sacks last year, but he there was a lot of hurries too that kind of forced the quarterback into um, you know some premature show, throws and mechanics kind of break down. And when you've got when you've got front side pressure, and you guys have listened to the show for a while, I'm a huge fan of front side pressure because even when you can't get there, you can make the play. You can you can turn a play into a positive for you and a negative for the offense sometimes just by getting in the quarterback's head just a little bit. But this is a kid that really gets after the quarterback and, uh, listen, runs well laterally. Really good. When they run the jet sweep, he's able to get out there uh, and set containment, get out there and, and kind of set the edge. Uh, I like that. He's able to get out and cover, good length. He's really kind of an overgrown safety playing linebacker. And I don't know that he has the foot speed to play safety, but he does have the foot speed to play outside linebacker, or he appears to on tape. 
Uh, a lot of that, too, is just being instinctive. He's a guy that reads the football well and kind of can diagnose plays. Uh, good length. You know, I think he's credited with two pass breakups. But there were a lot of plays that I saw on his film were just him getting a hand in there and kind of distracting the receiver and kind of getting in the throwing lane, forced an incompletion. Now, that won't show up in the box score because he didn't actually touch the football. Uh, but it's still a very impactful play. And so there is some of that. Now, the things that, that you might be a little bit concerned about, he's not a real big kid. Now, they list him, I think, at 6'1", 200. I, I, I don't buy I don't want to stand on. I don't want to sit on that scale. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't think that's where he is. And I look at the pictures, you can tell he, he is a little more wiry than listed. But he does appear to have the frame to add the mass necessary to play in this scheme. So – it's not as big a concern because, you know, you're not expecting a high school freshman to show up here and be able to play mad minutes as a, as a linebacker in the SEC. He can play his four games, red shirt, get a little bit stronger, and then kind of get out there. He is a guy that clearly understands where to go and how to get to the spot, but he needs to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. And that's one of the things that I always notice, and I've had some great high school coaches over the years that I have used as resources to watch film, especially on the last – you know, when I first got started in this business, I didn't know as much to look for because I could be bamboozled and confused by highlight videos a lot too, and it still happens some. Uh, I remember a, a former Ole Miss quarterback that, um, that somebody had sent me his highlight video, and it was carefully packaged to show him in the best light, as well it should have been. Then I went and watched him play live, and I think he went three for three for 18 or something like that. It was awful. Uh, but be that as it may, the thing about Tamar Rogers is – What's missing from his highlight video? Good coverage skills, yes. Relentless pass rusher, yes. Does a great job laterally kind of negating the, the, the speed sweep and some of that end-around stuff. You can tell this is a guy that does his film review. I want to see him frame somebody up, though. I, I don't want to see him constantly have to go for somebody's feet. What, what does he do when he has to go fit a gap. Now, some some of this by alignment is a 3-4 alignment. He's going to be outside, so there's not going to be quite the gap there to fill. But there are going to be times when he is going to have to be head up with a running back out in the flats, and he is going to have to make a tackle and knock the running back backwards. I don't see any of that on his film. And if he could make that play, you know that it would be on his film. And so that's one of those things, too. And, again, I'm not talking poorly about the kid. I'm just trying to give you an honest evaluation. I think this guy is a good get. I don't think he's a difference maker in the class, but I think when you look at the lack of linebackers in the state of Mississippi for this year, uh, this class, you've got to go out of the state and get one. And to be able to go get a guy like this, I, I think this fills the need. I think he is a developmental guy. I like him better than I like Thomas Davis. Uh, and I'm not, listen, I know Thomas Davis has had to commit to Miami at any point this year. I think Thomas Davis is a real tweener, and I don't think that he has a natural position. I don't think that he has the foot speed to get out and cover, and I think by and large he has been a guy that has kind of gotten by on hustle and effort. Not to say that Mandy won't know how to use him, but I would rather have Tamar Rogers than I would Thomas Davis. Now, that's my honest opinion. You may disagree. I think Tamar fits our scheme better because it is a 3-3-5 alignment. We can kind of move him around and kind of, you know, kind of use him schematically. Uh, I think, you know, to kind of, you know, use his skill set to kind of help us make plays. I don't know that Thomas Davis has the same level of versatility. He's got a better offer sheet. I'm not going to sit here and say that he doesn't. 
Uh, but I think based on our scheme, I like Tamar better. Uh, and we talked about Thomas Davis on this show, and I, listen, I did my best to kind of put the lipstick on the peg, and this is not necessarily you know, criticism of his ability. I just don't know that he was the best fit, uh, especially there at Sam Linebacker. If you watch his film, just about every highlight is him in a four-point stance. Well, we're not going to do that at linebacker in the SEC. So he's, he's a guy that's kind of playing out of position in high school, so it's difficult to get a good evaluation on him. And then, again, there's, there's the whole foot speed issue. Can he get out in space and cover? That's the, that, those are the boxes that I think Tamar Rogers checks, is he is naturally playing linebacker, so he is learning the, his college position on the high school level. Granted, the coaching is going to be much different when he gets in college, but he is learning the nuances of the position now so it won't be this big culture shock when he gets into the college level and he appears to have the foot speed and the instincts to get out and cover in space and if you're going to play outside linebacker in the sec and you're going to have to play against a spread you're going to have to cover it's not going to be as simple as stepping up and uh, you know making a tackle there at the line of scrimmage uh, you know against an eye formation you've got to be able to run east and west you've got to be able to gain ground and you've got to be able to get downhill on people that's the only that's the only thing to I look at and say, listen, he might be able to do it. You know, whoever put his highlight video together may have just said, you know what, I don't think that's important, whereas I disagree. That's the only box that's really left to check for me. I think this kid, uh, not just because of the fact that he's also good friends of Mizell Williams, recent commit to Mississippi State, I, I think getting down there in that Daytona, Florida, Orlando type area is really smart. Everybody recruits down there. Uh, Dan Mullen kind of neglected to recruit there a lot when he was here at Mississippi State. Uh, and, I, and that's the thing, too. Washington State signed a ton of players from Florida, which is incredible to think about. And if they can get kids to leave the Sunshine State to go to Pullman, Washington, they can get them to come to start with Mississippi. And so I like both of these guys. I think Mizell Williams can play. Uh, I have less questions about Mizell than I do tomorrow. And, again, once we get some senior film, some of those concerns may be, be abated. And, again, I, I think he's a good get. He could prove to be a great get. And I think, again, when you look at the available talent in the state of Mississippi at the linebacker position, it's a no-brainer to go take this kid. Was he got 30, 28, 29, 30 offers? You know, and about half of those are from the Power Five. And so, again, Florida is kind of an over-recruited state, so a lot of those kids out there are going to have tons of opportunities to go play. Uh, and so Mississippi State needs to provide an opportunity for those guys as well. And so I'm very happy about that. Eric Mealy is a recruiting coach for both Mizo Williams and Tamar Rogers. And you know as well as I do, uh, you're not going to take a linebacker without Zach Arnett signing off on it. He was a guy that played linebacker in this scheme. He understands that. And so really, more times than not, you got to think, you know, we, we want to trust the coaches. When it comes to linebacker evals, I think our guys know what they're doing. I think that's the whole thing that kind of made this Thomas Davis thing a bit of a head-scratcher is that he looked to be a really a developmental guy, but there just wasn't a lot of film out there of him playing linebacker. And so, again, sometimes you defer to the experts. But just based on, you know, my layman-type opinion here, again, I think State has taken a step in the right direction by replacing Thomas Davis with Tamar Rogers. You got Devontae Strong. Now you can be patient, look for that next big backer, and you don't have to be in any big hurry to go get that guy. So what's next? That's, that's the next question. As soon as we get a commitment, the next question is, Steve, what's next? When we get past, hey, what do you think about the kid? Okay, who would get next? So if I had to call it right now, I would say Dwayne Lofton is probably next. Now, I have talked to several people over the last couple of months. So I have talked to you know 
a number of people about Dwayne Lofton over the course of the last couple months, and uh, there was a lot of talk that he would stay closer to home. I mean, that's the thing, too. Everybody, when you first when you interview these kids as juniors, you say, listen, I'll go anywhere in the country to play. And then when they sign on signing day, they say, hey, it's a chance to stay closer to home. More times than not, right? Uh, but there were a lot of people that said, that, you know, listen, Dwayne Lofton and his mom are very, very close. He's a Dallas-Fort Worth kid. And uh, he's going to have the opportunity to stay closer to home in Texas and uh, wants his mom to be a part of it and uh, may ultimately like to stay. Well, that chatter kind of died down here in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I was in touch with Dwayne Lawson over the weekend. Uh, that is a commitment that I expect to happen this week. Uh, I think it's just really a matter of time. Uh, there have been some discussions with Mississippi State coaches and Dwayne and his mother uh, about geography, and it's really not that far. People forget. I mean, you just get on I-20 and, and you're in Dallas. You know, you just – Scoot across state of Louisiana, there you are. It's not that far from Starkville to Dallas. That, that matter of fact, that probably should be an area that we, re, we recruit a little more uh, regularly. But be that as it may, this is a guy that was recruited by Dave Nickel and Mike Leach when they were at Washington State. They identified him very, very early. They were one of the first schools to offer him. Uh, and obviously, Mike Leach still has a name that carries some, uh, some weight in the state of Texas. So they get involved with this kid, and uh, once they get to Mississippi State, they offer him again. And so he is a guy that has kind of had to get up to speed, but uh, loves the offense, loves the chance he's going to play in the SEC. I still hear that if TCU gets involved, we might have a little bit of a, you know, a hiccup there to kind of work through because of the fact him being a Fort Worth kid, he's got his high school coach, played at TCU. Uh, so that's something we'll have to continue to recruit him as an undeclared player. But I expect that to happen this week. Now, I still think Malik Neighbors is going to pop this month, too. We're down 10 days left. But um, that might creep into August. But uh, I still expect that to happen. And so then when you take a step back and you begin to look at this thing, what's the one position that Mississippi State has struggled to recruit players for, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years? I mean, you can go you, – listen – all respect to T. Millen and and, uh, and Will Prosser and those guys, but uh, we have not been a destination for big time wide receivers in a long time. You know, I would argue that you know probably the two best classes that we signed in recent memory is we we go out and get Chris Smith and Arcedo Clark and um, Chad Bumpus back in 09, arguably the best wide receiver class. And then we a little bit later, we put together that whole, and it took some doing, but that one generation of receivers with Fred Ross, Deronye Wilson, Donald Gray, they didn't all sign in the same class. But, uh, you know, we put together a good group there. But the fact that we can remember those classes, you know, so easily just kind of goes to show you how much we have struggled to recruit wide receivers. And so now here we are having never played a game with Mike Leach calling the plays. We haven't even had a single spring practice. And there is a chance now before we get to August 1st that Mississippi State will have four plan A receivers in the recruiting class. That is, a, uh, that is some sight that is uh, often unforeseen here in Stark Vegas. We just don't seem to do that. And so then you go out and you get Teddy Knox, a four-star kid, out of the Woodlands, Texas. He's originally a Baton Rouge kid, but you get him into the boat, and you get Malik Neighbors, who's a kid, another four-star kid from South Louisiana. You get Dwayne Lofton, who could arguably be a four-star. He's right there on the cusp of being a four-star kid. 
Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I, I don't need him to get rated any higher. I don't need him to get any other offers. I have watched enough of his film that I am excited about his ability. 5'11", uh, 185, 190, a guy that's got great wiggle. You can watch him. They run that jailbreak screen to him so many times. This is a guy, and that's the thing about that play that's so crazy. This is what makes, to me, makes him a perfect fit. He reminds a little bit of Chad Bumpus, okay, a little bit. But this is a guy that works back to his quarterback, secures the catch, and then navigates through traffic. And once he's in the open field, he runs away from people. Now, I don't know that he has the quickness that perhaps uh, some other guys that we've signed in recent years have. But his foot speed, getting north and south, and being able to navigate traffic and get in and out of his breaks, very, very good. Uh, I like him. But, again, I don't need anybody else to, to validate my opinion of him. I think he would be a great get. Look forward to getting him and Malik Neighbors in the class. And then you think Brandon Buckhalter. And, listen, this whole thing of Brandon Buckhalter is not over. Okay, it's not. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss is going to stay after him. Uh, I know there's some other players within the state of Mississippi he's talked to about possibly playing together. And so that can be a good and a bad thing. But uh, that's one of the things when you inherit these commitments, how quickly can you build a relationship uh, do they feel like a priority? You know, we've seen up the road at Ole Miss. They've had some kids because of the coaching change uh, that have recalibrated and, and changed their opinion and kind of moved on, and that's part of the deal. State's been very fortunate in that respect. We haven't had some of that. But uh, Buck Cotter is one that I continue to kind of watch. You know, uh, he continues to say all the right things, but I know privately that he is still uh, talking with other schools, and so we'll see. But if you get Buck Cotter in, who was – been one of the better athletes in this class throughout the process in the state of Mississippi. You had him, Knox, Neighbors, Lofton. Then you can really take your time. If you're going to take a fifth receiver, as I shared with you guys once Tyrell Shaver signed, it's not a guarantee that we take five receivers in this class, even though we are still overhauling the position. And uh, I share with you guys, you know, with all these red shirts and walk-ons and stuff, we're going to have like ten new receivers this year. So you've gotten a pretty big influx of talent already. Uh, this year, and then you're going to add to that. And so kind of we'll see how things progress. But if you are going to take a fifth guy, then Canarius Johnson from Laurel becomes a bigger priority and Jacoby Moore from Harrison Central. I like them both. I would be 100% on board with getting either one of those guys. So we'll see how things progress. But I like the fact that you go out and you get those guys that you identified early and you made them a priority, and now they're in your class. And so, again, a lot of people have said, well, you know, Steve, we – you know, recruiting-wise, you know, we're running like, you know, you know, 12th, 13th, 10th, 11th, whatever in the conference. And I kept saying, well, you just need for one of these wide receivers to pop. Well, you get Knox, and what's that done? It's kind of opened the floodgate for some of these other guys, and you're putting together one of the best wide receiver classes on paper together in recent memory. I think that is outstanding. It says a lot about people's faith in this Mike Leach offense. And remember, we hadn't even played a game. Speaking of playing games, you don't need to play games with how you feel and how you look, how you smell. That, that's that's the, the biggest part of the whole deal. There are a lot of times, too, you know, listen, there are a lot of people out there that pay attention to you, whether you like it or not. And there are a lot of people out there that just kind of go through life smelling regular. Well, you don't want to be a regular person when it comes to that. You want to be outstanding. You can be outstanding by going to hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W. T-H-O-R-N-E.co, Hawthorne.co. Use promo code Boneyard to unlock savings for yourself. You will love the products. I have shared many times, and people think, well, Steve, you're just saying this. 
Uh, I'm not just saying this because, listen, I, I, I turn down advertisers each month because I don't want to overload the show with a bunch of ads. We've, we've been there before, haven't we? You know, I remember a time when I had six ad reads uh, when I was with another company. And so I tried to keep that back because even though I've linked in the show, I've kind of cut down on ads. Uh, but I believe in this product, and you will too. Go take the quiz. Again, that's at hawthorne.co, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.co. Take the quiz. They will pair you up with scents that match your preferences, and then you're going to be very, very happy about the direction that things go because you're going to look good, you're going to smell good, you're going to feel good, you're going to perform good. All right, let's get into a couple other things. Top 10 list. I have had so many of you guys reach out and share your top 10 list requests, and I'm going to get to all of them eventually. Now, again, listen, if you send me, Steve, give me your top 10 Tell Me Why Not songs, that's not going to air, okay? That's just not, that's not going to air. Because, again, not that I don't have respect for Tell Me Why Not, but outside of Stand By Your Man, I can't name a Tammy Wynette song. And I'm not going to get up here and fake it, just go Google a bunch of songs and go listen to them real quick and put a list together. I want to speak to you intelligently and articulately about uh, you know what I feel about these topics. So if you send that stuff, I'm not going not gonna to put it on there. It's not going to do it. i got to be able to do it justice. And uh, I want to thank our friend Scott Parham. Scott Parham, you can find him on Twitter at Arcade Dog, that's D-A-W-G, he uh, specializes in video games. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, Steve, how about a top 10 list of video games? I'm, I'm going to give them to you. And I'm talking, I'm talking arcade games. I'm not talking about Sega Genesis or Nintendo or any of that stuff. I'm talking actual, when we used to go to the mall, we used to, we used to go to Metro Center, and then we upgraded and went to North Park. Or we went to Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg. I can't tell you how much money I spent on those skill cranes at Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. But uh, be that as it may, that's that's where the cool kids were. If you wanted to find them, you you went to Camelot Music, and then after you bought your CD or your tape, because I'm an older guy, uh, then you went over there and uh, you played some video games with with the change you had left. And sometimes we would go in there. I remember so many people would say, you got nothing to show for your money. That's not true. I had a blast playing in those arcades. It was great. That was what we, that was what we did. It's like they would drop you off, and then everybody would hang out at the arcade. And there were arcades kind of everywhere. Even gas stations out there had video games to kind of keep the door swinging. You could go in there. You, know, you could go to Jenny Jungle back in the day, and you could play Miss Pac-Man. You could play Defender. You could do all that stuff right there. Video games were everywhere. I didn't like it is today. You kids today are spoiled. We had to watch cartoons from 8 o'clock to 9.30 on Saturday mornings and sometimes 9 o'clock. It was ridiculous. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't quite that restrictive. The only time we were able to watch cartoons was Saturday morning. That was it. The only time we could play video games outside of Pong was when we went to the arcade. I'm from the 1900s, Sonny. Things were a little bit different back then. We didn't have Netflix. We had to actually go to the movies. But here are my top ten. Let me give you a couple honorable mentions. My top ten arcade games from the 80s. Honorable mention, Frogger. Cool game, kind of redundant after a while. It was a fun game. Joust was another one. That was kind of a second-generation game because you could do the flying and you could go left or right. It wasn't all so simply so analog and so basic. Uh, the Star Wars thing was cool because uh, we all love Star Wars in the 80s. We still love Star Wars. Uh, 
Uh, matter of fact, I'm watching Mandalorian now. Just just getting caught up on all that stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know if you noticed. I've been busy writing a book, so I'm getting caught up on my Netflix now. Uh, the Star Wars stuff was good because you had the officially licensed stuff. It was uh, it was really cool. Uh, Asteroids again. That's another one that kind of got redundant after a while. And there what it was basically just uh, you know black and gray. There wasn't a lot to it. There there was not a lot of graphics. It was just us shooting a bunch of asteroids and trying to avoid getting hit. And then Space Invaders. Space Invaders is a classic game, but again, it gets kind of boring. It gets redundant. Yes, they kind of speed it up a little bit. Uh, but Space Invaders, was something we played a lot. It's a classic game, but it wasn't as good as the other games that I'm about to talk to you about. Number one, number ten for me, and it was next generation because uh, the animation on this game was unlike anything we had ever seen, but Dragon's Lair. It was a decision game where you made the choices and then... Uh, the character would, would act it out. The problem with is sometimes the controls were not very good. And so, and it was so expensive to play the game, you could continue and stuff, but sometimes you'd feed two or three dollars into this thing and uh, not get very far in the game. And back in those days, two or three dollars was a lot of money for a young man. Number nine for me was Centipede. I used to actually love Centipede, especially when we got it on Atari too. But uh, back playing in the, uh, the arcade, that was... Uh, that was one of those games, too, that could get by you pretty quick. I mean, that was one, before you know it, the game was over if you weren't careful. Centipede was good. Number eight for me was Kubert. thought Kubert was good. Again, a little bit redundant, but uh, they changed the colors a lot. and They changed the difficulty. Kubert was really cool, and uh, he looked unlike anything else we had seen. Number seven for me, and it's the first game that I remember them kind of changing things up a little bit and uh you had to you had to handle the handlebars and stuff was paperboy paperboy was a different game too where you're on a paper route which sounds really boring but there were a lot of hijinks that accompanied that you had to dodge cats and dogs and cars and potholes and that sort of stuff and then deliver all your papers on time and on target it was a different level game number six for me i could have gone much higher than this it was a partnership game it was better as partners, but it's Double Dragon. Double Dragon was a lot of fun, but it was one of those games, man, it took forever. I mean, forever. You could you could put a quarter in that game, and if you had any skill at all, you could play for a long time. Number five, and I didn't go with uh, the original because I thought Miss Pac-Man was better than the original Pac-Man. It was faster. The graphics are better. Uh, everything about it, you know, whether, even the intermissions were better. I thought Miss Pac-Man was a superior game to Pac-Man. You say, well, you know, it's the same game. Well, it kind of is, but I just thought they kind of found their groove, Miss Pac-Man. Number four for me was Donkey Kong. I could still, if you give me a Nintendo now, I could still probably, I could probably flip that game. And if you are too young to know what that meant, then you go ask your dad. And most of your dads, if they were cool, can tell you about flipping games because you you flipped a score over. Number three for me was Defender. And I know they came out later with Stargate to kind of build on Defender, but I thought the original Defender was better. I thought the sound was great. I thought, you know, you could fly. And uh, it was a little bit like Joust in the respect that uh, it was a little more realistic with all, as, as a video game could be at that time. It wasn't three-dimensional by any stretch, but Defender uh, kind of gave us something better. It was like that next wave of games where we felt like, you know what, I'm getting more value from my quarter here. Uh, number two, Pole Position. Pole position, man. Loved that game because uh, you could sit down. It was really like riding in a race car. Uh, you had the steering wheel that everybody and, and their uh, sticky fingers and into this post-COVID world that we're going to soon be living in. You could never have had pole position 
because everybody put their their sticky fingers on the uh, on the controls there. But uh, pole position was a lot of fun. You could race your friends, you could beat your friends, and if you continue to win, you could continue to play. But number one for me, and one of these days I will buy a stand-up version of this game and add it to my game room. I, as a matter of fact, I, I got a spot I'm looking at right now thinking, you know what, that's exactly where this bad boy is going to go. But it's Galaga. I thought Galaga was the greatest game. Again, it's a little bit different. It's, it's kind of like Space Invaders, but better, but not quite like Defender. So Galaga was one of those space games we had a bunch of space games because i think everybody kind of built on the star wars phenomenon and star trek but uh galaga was uh, an incredible game the sounds were great the graphics were great if you're looking for an 80s classic video game look no further than galaga and again one of these days i will have that game i will have it not on nintendo not on xbox one not on whatever next gaming platform they come up with i will have the real deal 80s Galaga console right here in this house. That's my list. Your list may differ. Your list would be wrong. But uh, be that as it may, tell me where I'm wrong. Let me know what I missed because there's probably some great game that I forgot. I remember there was a, a, it was a kung fu game. It was so great. But the problem with that was is if you could, if you could execute the front kick over and over again, then nothing ever changed. You, know, you could just keep advancing in the game, keep advancing in the game. There was like a glitch there where it's all you had to do was do the front kick over and over and over and over and over again. When you begin, when you begin to freelance a little bit and get away from the basics, you get beat. So that was kind of boring. It's one of the reasons I didn't mention it earlier. But, uh, again, so many great games to choose from. Really enjoyed doing this list. It reminded me of Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. 
Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. How much fun we used to have as teenagers. Man, it was so much fun when I was a kid to go to Bebop Record Shop. Go down there and look through all those records, man. And that was one of the things I used to tell people was, man, when you when we had Bebop Record Shop, you had friends. I mean, you walked in there and all of a sudden you'd see somebody looking at the, you know, looking at the new Guns N' Roses album. You, you strike up a conversation like, hey, man, I already got that. It's really good. And next thing you know, you got a new buddy in Jackson. You get a phone number. And the next thing you know, you know, you, we're going to, um, oh, what was the name of that dead gum? The wild, what, what, the the saloon. What was the name of that? Anyway, I drank a lot late '80s, early '90s. But uh, be that as it may, <laughs> Tur- man, was it not, not Turkey Creek Saloon? Maybe it was. Somebody will, somebody will correct me. But we used to go watch Lillian Axe play there and watch Dead Man's Hand. We used to call him DMH because we were all so cool. But uh, we had a great time, man. We, there was a scene. There was a rock scene in Jackson, and even to a lesser extent in Hattiesburg. But man, we would go to the record shop. You'd spend your money there, and uh, there's always something cool there. You, you, and you'd go to Camelot or whatever and, and, and go to Spencer's, and you'd buy your, your concert shirts. And, and there was always kind of a code. Like, you didn't, you didn't buy the concert shirt if you didn't go to the show, but you could buy a shirt to support that band. I mean, there was, there was like there was, an unru- there was a code about all that. And everybody had the denim jackets with the patches, and we felt like we were a part of something. That's one of the things today... I think it's it's missing in music. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about all this, but because I, I could I could rant all day about this, is we felt like we were part of something that was changing the world, not just changing the radio, but all of a sudden bands had power, musical acts became activists for change, and not just listen. I don't just mean uh, you know being silly for the sake of being silly. But uh, there was a movement that I think emboldened the youth of our era that made us feel like, you know what, uh, we don't have to all, we don't have to be cookie cutter versions of our parents. We can express ourselves a little differently. And uh, I miss that aspect of it, even though there is no shortage of people looking to express themselves today. There was, there was a tribe within the tribe and uh, I think we all, I think we all kind of had those rallies when you would go, when, like we would pack up the car and we'd go watch Motley Crue and Rat play and Jackson. But you would leave early enough to go by Bebop Record Shop and see who all was there because everybody around the great state of Mississippi that was a rocker was going to that show. You went early enough and you made all these great friends. And I'm sure I've met some of you guys there, some of you guys and gals. Probably got your phone number tucked away in some uh, some old uh, organizer from back in the day, 
But all of that stuff, man, was so special to me, and I know it was for you guys as well. So thanks so much, Scott, for your suggestion. And uh, I've got I've got more than enough to make it through the week with some other music stuff. And uh, so, again, send me your list, and uh, I'll get to them. Okay, so uh, Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show, man. Love Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, and Stan the man there. They will get what you want when it comes to Mississippi State merchandise. You can get it. Uh, call up there, email them, Facebook them, and say, hey, here's what I'm looking for. And if they don't have it, they'll look for it for you. Because, listen, you're family to them. It's not as simple as say, it's not this cookie-cutter thing as say, well, this is not what we carry. If there is anything out there Mississippi State-related, I can promise you Kathy Brown has already researched it and uh, can probably lay her hands on it really, really quick for you. I know many of you want to outfit your home. Listen, I spent so much time at home writing this book and uh, being home, being off the road for a while, I kind of fell in love with my house again. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to get out of here, but I thought, you know, if I'm going to be spending more time here, I want to kind of dress this place up a little bit. I want to do some things differently. And so you may feel the same way as I do. And there are probably some kind of nooks and crannies in your house. You're thinking, you know what, I need to have something there. You can find it at Campus Bookmart, and you can outfit your family for this football season and everything that's ahead of us by going to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And I get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, so I have uh, reached out to a few people and uh, talked to them about some things we have discussed on the show kind of in passing. I wanted to get you guys some more information. I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago to go ahead and prepare for mobile ticketing well that's here okay so now you're still going to be able to print your tickets but that is going to be greatly discouraged but the university i know mississippi state alabama and i believe old miss is already on on board with this nobody is going to send tickets they're not going to you know they're not going to print them out they're going to send them and there's a, there's a lot of reasons why number one the the, the less things we have to handle the less likely we are uh, to pass disease. And this is something, you know, listen, I've got tickets framed all over my house. Rock shows, sporting events, everything. I think think I have kept every ticket for every ball game that I took my oldest son. I I know that I have every concert ticket we ever attended. I I needed to get all that stuff on the walls. But all that being said, uh, the day of those tickets is over. It's going to be mobile ticketing. You need to have a smartphone, and if you don't have one, you're going to be able to print it. But again, we're trying to get away from that. But you'll be able to print your ticket. They'll be able to scan the barcode. But uh, what what they really want you to do, and Ticketmaster has been trending this way for years, is they will send you your mobile ticket, and you just kind of show it to them on your phone, and then they scan your phone. And uh, it's contactless, and everybody's good, and then you gain admission. It also cuts down on fraud, it also cuts down on these, um, you know, these ticket scalpers sometimes. You know, we, we've had some of that. You remember back in 2014, uh, I remember there was a couple, uh, and, and they weren't alone, but I remember there was a couple of Ole Miss fans that uh, were arrested for counterfeit tickets, for selling counterfeit tickets. That's back when, yeah, that's back when State and Ole Miss kind of ruled the college football world there for, uh, for much of the fall. And so when demand goes up, so do the, uh, the devious plots of other people looking to uh, to profit 
off of uh, your enthusiasm regarding your team. And so with these mobile tickets, that's going to cut down on all that. Listen, we have had some fans show up at uh, ticket offices at Mississippi State, and they've bought some tickets online from somebody and and, uh, have been scammed. And so there are some safety precautions, not just from the health standpoint, but also, too, from the fact that it's going to protect you as a consumer. And I've always said, again, I understand there are people out there that, uh, that, that love you and they have tickets and they can transfer those tickets to you. They're going to be able to transfer that to you. Uh, much like you can do with Ticketmaster, there will be a chain of custody where they can kind of ensure that, they, that you haven't stolen tickets. But be that as it may, there will be a methodology to this uh, that will make it easier for you guys. You can read up on some of that stuff right now online at healthstate.com. But uh, be prepared as we get into this. And uh, one of the questions on Gene's page, and it's a good question, how do we handle getting into the stadium and social distancing at the same time? That's going to be difficult. How are we going to leave the stadium? Good questions, right? Those are those are things that we'll learn as we kind of get closer uh, to kickoff. Uh, but I suspect, and one of our one of our great subscribers on Gene's page, and if you're not a subscriber, you darn well should be. One of our subscribers said, you know, hey, we, we, they might do it by section. You know, you might say, hey, this is your time for you know for section D. This is your time for Section C, whatever. And, uh, you know, how do we do it once we get into the stadium? I suspect we're going to have every other row. You know, if you've been to a restaurant lately, you know, none of the tables next to you uh, are available for seating. You know, they only have a, a select number of, of tables they will seat you. I suspect that we're going to have uh, rows, and then you will probably social distance with your family. You know, so you don't have people sitting right on top of you. So... I suspect it'll be somewhere near 50%. And, again, that's an educated opinion. That's not, you know, it might be 25% because, you know, maybe you can't get 50% in there and properly social distance. But um, all of that is kind of moving forward. Uh, There was some information earlier today. Greg Sankey went on the Dan Patrick Show and discussed uh, tailgating. A lot of people said, hey, what's, what's going to happen with tailgating? Well, Greg Sankey comes out and says that um, the SEC has not banned tailgating. There have been some people out there that have suggested that uh, that is going to be the case or that is the case, and uh, Sankey comes out today. Let me, let me read you the exact quote here just because I, I don't want to misquote. So, um, so here we go. Believe it or not, I've had university presidents and chancellors ask me that very question. We have not banned tailgating, said Greg Sankey. I think our effort now has been to actually look at our campus policies. So that's where I spent this weekend and asked our campus personnel, what do your policies allow? Uh, I think our state and local uh, policies will be in play there too, and to the extent we have to regulate, whether it's in-stadium numbers or masking, which has become prevalent, or even outside the stadium, we will if that's necessary. I'm not sure that's going to be necessary based on what's happening at the state and local level. So he says a lot there. Um, it doesn't say a whole bunch, but the, the, the money quote there is there's not been a ban on tailgating. How they handle it remains to be seen. But here's the deal about all of that that I'll share with you. A lot of this is outside. Okay, that's you know we had the, the Henry Hunter or the Hunter Henry, Henry Hunter, pardon me, Henry Hunter uh, Center the alumni association say, hey, we're not going to do our tailgate. Well, a lot of that was inside. And so they're not going to do that, but most tailgates are outside. And I understand there's a lot of people 
crowded into one tight space there. But a lot of that's a personal decision. People can still wear a mask, but uh, the university may, of course, you know, cut down on um, tailgating spots. But if you're going to allow people on campus, people are going to congregate. There's no way you're going to be able to keep people from uh, from getting face-to-face. And, again, a lot of that's a personal decision. But, again, at this point, no ban on tailgating. I mean, many of you are thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do? When are we going to know? Uh, I would say probably in the next 10 to 14 days. I think we're going to have an idea how this thing is going to play out. I still expect us to play. I've also reached out uh, about this baseball legislation, and I'll be honest with you, it's not as meaningful as I hoped that it would be. And so I went to some of the experts. I'm not going to quote them, but I'm going to share with you what I've learned. So there is really not much impact with this legislation. It looks good. It sounds good. But many of this, many of these issues that it covers have has already been uh, allowed. What I mean by that is, is like in, in, in baseball, you have countable and non-countable aid. So let's say for an example, if you have a student that, you know, let's say the parameters to go to Mississippi State on a 50% scholarship is, let's say that's a 25 ACT and a 3.5 GPA. If that is available to all students and you have a baseball player that meets those criteria and is awarded that scholarship on merit, then that is non-countable aid, which means is they can collect that scholarship and it does not count towards 11.7. Now, if there is another scholarship that they have earned uh, or maybe they have been awarded that is not earned through merit, then that would count as part of your 11.7. And so I'm going to try to put that in perspective for you as best I can. So basically, this is kind of a, um, it's not really a big deal. I, 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 I kind of misunderstood because I, I had read some things early on and uh, felt like this was going to be a real game changer but then I found out that a lot of the aid that it would be awarded is already being awarded and not counting as part of the 11.7, if that makes sense. So it's already, we're basically putting legislation in to kind of, kind of add an exclamation point to what we're already doing. So there is some you know, negligible differences in this. But let's like say for an example, let's say that somebody is applying for the presidential scholarship, and there it is not, it is awarded based off an interview or, or something to that of that matter. It's not just merit based. Then that would that would not count. That would count towards Mississippi State's eleven point seven. And so, there's not going to be a big difference from what we've seen. How it was kind of rolled out and advertised is all it's good. They're going to be able to stack this eight on top of it. Well, they're already doing that. They're already capable of doing that. So it's not nearly uh, kind of what it was billed to be. And, I, and listen, I'll, I'll, I'll take some responsibility for that because, and I share with you guys, I didn't know enough about it, but based on the, the face value, it seemed to be a great thing for college baseball. It's really just something else. It's really not anything that's going to make this big difference. It's not going to level the playing field uh, with Vanderbilt. And one of the things that somebody shared with me that you'll find interesting is uh, we talked about the five need-based scholarships that uh, Vanderbilt uses every year. And that's five per year. That's not five per the roster. That's five per year. So you can stack those. You have five this year, five next year, five next year. And so theoretically, you could have – 
20 to 25 players on 100% scholarship. Now you don't because nobody goes back for a senior year, very rarely. So let's say, just to be conservative, let's say you've got 15, 15 need-based scholarship players on your roster at Vanderbilt. Well, then you've got another, and you can count those guys as walk-ons, whatever, but then, you, then you've got, you can use your 11.7, uh, you know, for your other 20, what, 23 players. You can have 35 on roster and 27 on scholarship. And so you've got a lot bigger piece of the pie. And then the Vanderbilt people counter and say, well, yeah, but our tuition costs a lot more here. Well, free is free. 100% is 100%. And there are a lot of guys, those guys out there, the ones that have resources that, uh, you know, their families, afford, of, of course, can pay for them to go there. Uh, they're, they're walk-ons. And I had somebody share with me that, uh, that it was like 15 or 16 players at Vanderbilt that were on athletic aid. And you can put as many as 27. If that doesn't kind of paint the picture for you, I don't know what does. When you've only got 16 when you could have 27, that means there's not a need there because it's already being met in another way. So we've talked about that a lot. That's another story for another day. But uh, be that as it may, it's not the big deal that I had hoped it would be. And, uh, again, anything that helps our student athletes pay for college I think is a great thing. And we had a long discussion over on Gene's page, and uh, I want to share some of that with you before I get out of here. There are a lot of people are like, hey, we've got to pay players, we've got to pay players, we've got to pay players. And, uh, you know, listen, college athletics is not the lucrative business that sometimes we make it out to be. You know, essentially, it's kind of a nonprofit where, you know, you, you do put some money aside for a rainy day fund or for, you know, capital uh, you know, facilities advancements and that sort of stuff. But uh, be that as it may, most college athletic programs are barely breaking even. And so where will this money come from? And you say, well, you know, Steve, well, listen, the NCAA tournament generates all this money. But, you know, they, from the, the information that I saw last week, NCAA, I, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, but I think it was $933 million what they made. And the NCAA kept 4% of that. The rest of that money is distributed through the conferences and out to the member institutions as part of their athletic budget. They share in that. And, of course, the longer you play, the more money you get. But even if you don't have a team in the conference or in the tournament, uh, you still receive that as part of your payout every year as being a member of the NCAA. And so there are a lot of people that seem to think that there's just, you know, that it's like Fort Knox out there, that the NCAA is just sitting on this chasm of cash. Uh, and, and I read all this stuff and I say, well, you know, Steve, um, you know, these, these people are getting rich off of uh, off the players. Um, and so – some of that, I guess, is true. I mean, you could argue, hey, you know, Mike Leach is going to make $5 million a year, but that's what it took to get him here. You don't think K.J. Costello came here to play for Mike Leach? You don't think that's a benefit there? You don't think Mississippi State is going to benefit from having K.J. Costello here? You certainly would. But here's the deal. It's the whole thing about paying players. It, it always seems to stop with football or basketball. You know, football and men's basketball, by and large, are the only programs in America that are profitable. Football and men's basketball then pay for the rest of the sports. Mississippi State's one of the only teams in America that makes money on college baseball. One of the only ones. It's one of the reasons you see so many programs out there kind of cutting back. There are some schools that don't even use their full allotment of scholarships. Because they get somebody willing to pay to play, and they don't use the money. So I'll give you guys an example. UConn 
women's basketball is the brand for women's hoops in America. There is not a WNBA team. There is none of a college team. There is nobody that has the legacy or the branding of the UConn Lady Huskies. It's just they, they are the straw that serves a drink. A year ago, they lost four, excuse me, they generated four and a half million dollars in revenue. It's great, right? Cost them eight million dollars to fill the team. So they lost three and a half million dollars. So you have the greatest women's basketball program in history, all due respect to Pat Summit, the greatest women's dynasty in history, losing three and a half million dollars a year. And some of this kind of bubbled up when the Cal players say, we demand 50% of the revenue. Okay, so what are the UConn women supposed to do? Where is that revenue supposed to come from? Are they going to write a check? Uh, Are the ladies going to help pay some of that deficit? No, there is no revenue there for them to share in. Then you get into softball. There is no revenue to share in. College baseball around the country, other than a handful of schools, mostly in the South, there is no revenue to share in. You got your track and field, you got golf, you got tennis. You know, we just built a uh, tremendous tennis practice facility, indoor facility there. Do you think tennis makes any money for Mississippi State? No, it does not. And football is paying for that. And so the entire athletic budget around the country is funded by football. But there are people out there that say, well, hey, we make all this money for football. We should give some of that to the players. Well, here's the deal. Uh, Men's basketball, women's basketball, uh, football, those are all full scholarship sports. Not to mention all the gear, the access to world-class facilities, the access to free health care, room, board, books, everything. They graduate debt-free from college because they excelled at a different sport. That's one of the things I think about so much, and I've mentioned on the show before. We, we talk about how college baseball needs diversity, and I believe that it does. But you've got to make college baseball competitive on the scholarship front. It, let, let's say, for an example, like let's say we've got a kid that is a quarterback and a center fielder at uh, Stone County High School in Wiggins. I remember Sam Hentz played there, and Sam was a freak. But if you're a kid from small-town Mississippi and you have the option to say, listen, I'm, I'm equally as skilled as a football or a baseball player, but I can go play football for free and graduate debt-free, that's what I'm going to go do. Oh, yeah, I love baseball, and I might be a shade better at baseball, but I'm going to graduate $40,000 in debt at a minimum and then if I'm a first-round pick like Ethan Small, i got to cut a check to pay off my student loans as soon as I get my signing bonus. And so if we're going to get out here and really begin to entertain more money, then we have to, to accomplish some scholarship equity. There's a lot of people out there that are paying to play for your university. And so I, I begin to think about, oh, well, you know, well, Steve, you know, look at these poor guys that are out here. They're doing that. They're doing this. They should share in the wealth. Okay, well, where does it stop? You know, football has everything. They do. They also get a monthly stipend, which is incredible to think about. They, they, you know, the full scholarship. They get spending money. They get money to go buy groceries with. 
You know, I know some. there are some players out there that uh, – there was a player from Ole Miss a while back, I can't remember where it was, at some interview about uh, – said that, uh, that he was starving because he's having to use his uh, stipend to help pay for uh, things back home. You know, I, I think you can use your stipend for whatever you want. Uh, it's your money, it's your business. But we've got football players – going to school for free, and basketball players, men's and women, and then getting a stipend on top of it, and then you've got baseball players just who happen to excel a different sport that are having to take out student loans to go to school. And then, but, you want to, but you want to continue to add to football and men's basketball? It makes no sense to me. If we're going to spend more money, then let's give those poor kids that are having to pay to play a full scholarship. That's what's right. That's what's equitable. I mean, that's what's incredible to me. You say, well, you know, well, Steve, it's a harsh lesson in life. They share in what they produce. Well, is it their fault that they were a a better pitcher than they were a quarterback? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And there's a lot of people out there that would argue as well, you know, it's it's basic economics, it's capitalism. But see, here's the deal. This is college athletics. It's it's still still an amateur sport. Nobody's forcing you to play. If you don't want to play under the circumstances that uh, are available in the NCAA, then uh, you don't have to. You can always just go be a regular student. There's nothing that says you have to play. And the rest of that equation, too, is, you know, this name, image, and likeness thing is coming. We've talked about that at length on the show before. And so there's going to be even more resources for some players, not all players, some players, uh, to be able to share in uh, some, you know, some compensation based on the brand that they themselves build. But there's only going to be a small amount of players that are going to be impacted by that. I mean, you know, I know right now everybody's thinking, hey, we're going to get rich on this. You're not. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get rich on it. There are going to be a lot of people out there that'll, that might be able to to afford some nicer things or an off-campus apartment or something like that. But uh, the the majority of student athletes do not have a brand. Now I began to think about baseball at Mississippi State. Old Miss has got some players up there too that you know that have been around for a while. That uh, you know they're marketable. You know, you don't think Jake Mangum, Jake Mangum could have turned a big profit. You know, Jake Mangum obviously would have been in demand for any advertiser that uh, wanted to to associate and affiliate themselves with Mississippi State sports. But uh, there's a bunch of kids on that roster that wouldn't have those opportunities. So they won't make anything. And so you've got to find a way to make it fair for everybody. And then there's all this, this whole thing about Title IX. That's one of the things, too, that I don't think people fully appreciate is Title IX is not just, you know, a rule. It is the law of the land. And so when there, when Title IX is in place, there is going to be an equitable distribution. It's not going to be as simple as say, well, because you really think that you can do that. You really think you can say, okay, well, listen, you've got, you know, men's sports over here, and they're generating all this money, so we're going to give them more money, and then the women get nothing? Do you think that's how it's going to work? It's not, it's not going to work that way. I'm just go ahead and take it out. That's not how any of this is going to work. But it's one of those things that you begin to kind of look at and you realize there's a lot of layers to every bit of this. 
you know, be financial aid or scholarship or whatever. And listen, I, I think if you want to talk about leveling the playing field some with Vanderbilt, you know, I, I think name, image, and likeness probably helps Mississippi State baseball and probably hurts Mississippi State football. Because to be fair, I, I think our baseball players, by and large, are probably bigger superstars or as big as football. And there's a lot less of them. You don't think Elijah McNamee could have gotten uh, could have gotten some endorsements around the state of Mississippi? He absolutely could have. Of course, he couldn't wear a Mississippi State uniform or identify himself as a Mississippi State player. He'd just be Elijah McNamee, but that's a household name in the state of Mississippi. So, again, there's a lot to unpack here. But uh, this whole issue of paying players, there's, there's, there's so many other issues in athletics that have to be corrected before we can even get to that. Because, again, it's not like that you know, people are to sit out here hiding money. And, I, and listen, I, I am always in favor of what's best for the student-athlete, always. I don't think we should ever limit their opportunities because there are so many kids out there that uh, this is as good as it's ever going to get, and they're going to have an opportunity to kind of build a brand themselves and get some name recognition. So all of a sudden they apply for a job somewhere, somebody's going to say, hey, hey, you played at Alabama or you played at LSU. Yeah, I, I absolutely did. And all of a sudden those are some, that's some networking that helps you down the road as you get done with sports and kind of get in, into a professional career. So all that's important. But, um, you know, we have got to find a way to make it easier for, nine, for partial scholarship athletes to be able to pay for school. It's as simple as that. So before we go start piling on and giving more and more to the haves, We've got to find a way to, to, to eliminate some of the have-nots and kind of move them in the right direction where these kids are not graduating you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt just because they excelled at a different sport. And the NCAA needs to fix that. You want to talk about fixing things? That's one thing you got to fix. And I'm not saying that everything's got to be a, a full scholarship sport, but what, what, if, what if you gave some schools the opportunity uh, and, and I understand there can be sweeping legislative change, but um, you know what? Like we don't fill the hockey team here at Mississippi State, but what if South Dakota was able to say, you know what, we're, we're going to be full scholarship for hockey, and then Mississippi State can be full scholarship for baseball. What if you gave them the opportunity to do something like that for for niche sports like that? Because college baseball, as much as we love it, is still kind of a niche sport around the country. It's not, it's not big in the Midwest. It's not big in the Northeast. It's not nice. Outside of a, a handful of schools, it's not big in the Pacific Northwest. It's mainly the Deep South and California. But so if you give us the opportunity to say, you know what, you can designate this sport as, you know, your sport, and uh, you could find a way to actively do it. I, I, I think, to me, that makes the most sense. You, you want to you keep some of these kids from – going pro in hockey or baseball right out of high school, you want to give them the opportunity to go to college and pay for college and get an education, I think that's how you do it. And maybe I'm wrong, but, there need, but the way we're doing it is broken. We will not have diversity. We will not have an opportunity for these kids to be able to graduate and not be under the burden of you know, tons of student loans. And other people say, well, Steve, my kid's going to school too and they're going to have to pay student loans. You know what? We're still paying them too. Uh, but the bottom line is this, is uh, I didn't get out there and bleed and sweat and put my body, um, you know, on the line every Saturday, uh, you know, throughout the year to represent the university. I think there needs to be some type of payment for that. 
Uh, and, I, and I think rather than just give them the cash, I think there's a way that you've got to make it equitable for everybody. And before, before we ever consider that we're just going to go out here and write a revenue-sharing check like these kids from Cal want, which is what they're asking for is so incredibly ludicrous. It's like some you, know, you guys at Cal, need to, everybody needs to go enroll at Economics 101 and figure out how to put a profit and loss statement together and understand where this money comes from. I, I don't think people fully appreciate the fact that uh, there is not the money out there in college athletics that people think there are. It's one of the reasons you saw Stanford cancel what about run a dozen sports here recently. It's because they were overextended, and these were sports that were a drain on the athletic department. And so they make a call there, and it's not because they don't want to fill the team. It's because it's too expensive to do so. And, and that's another thing, too, about the NCAA research I did last week. You know, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm, I'm pulling this from memory, because, you know, the NCAA doesn't sanction the, uh, the bowl season. The bowl, that's all different, you know. But the NCAA sanctions the NCAA – Men's tournament, which makes money. The hockey tournament, which makes money. Men's lacrosse makes money. College baseball makes money. Every other championship, every single one, including the women's basketball championship, women's lacrosse, women's soccer, gymnastics, the rest of it costs money. The rest of it is a deficit. It's not a profit. And so when you begin to put all this together, you think, I don't understand where this money goes. Well, it goes to paying referees, it goes to paying coaches, it goes to oversight. There's a lot of things, there are a lot of spoons in that pot. So it's not as simple as, oh, I don't understand, they got $933 million. Why can't they give these kids a few thousand? There's your answer. If you do the research, you'll understand. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of this that goes on that people don't fully appreciate. And I'm just glad that Mississippi State's a part of all this, but I'll be honest with you. They need to find a way to give us an opportunity to make things better for our college baseball athletes, and, and not just college baseball, but that's the one that kind of means the most to us. But, you know, uh, Tyler Bratton and uh, Coach Samantha Ricketts, and they're doing a great job over in softball. You know, there's a lot of players over there that are kind of in a similar situation. That's going to do it for today. I've been on a soapbox for way too long, a longer show today. I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll be back on Wednesday. You never know what we're going to talk about then. We'll have another top ten list. And, uh, and hopefully by that time, too, the book will be on its way to the printer. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.